Evgenia, welcome. How are you? Doing great. How about you? Very good. Very good. I uh, was. Um, it was really interesting to start learning about Haken. It's not a name I was familiar with before, and just by the fact that we connected through through Martin, it's. I mean, you guys have collaborated with a lot of great names in the industry, so I was really looking forward to this conversation. Can you can you talk a bit about Haken and about yourself and your role in there, for people that don't sure. know you? Sure. Uh, my name is Evgenia. I'm a co-founder of Haken. We started four years ago in uh, cybersecurity of crypto. My personal background is in cybersecurity as well. I have a master's degree in cybersecurity and done a lot of security activities uh, before. So, yes, what we do, we do blockchain security. We help Web3 like Web3 companies to protect themselves by looking for vulnerabilities and doing audits. So it helps companies to discover these vulnerabilities before bad guys exploit them. All right. And I mean, just a, a quick rundown of names you've collaborated with. Uh, we have CoinGecko here. We have Gate.io. We have VeChain. We have um, FTX. And is Bithum as well. Is, is Are those sole firms you have audited or is there other kind of work that you do because you do quite a lot you do blockchain protocol audits ethereum contract audits i'm well contract audits for for most big platforms yes so uh, what we do uh, we do like different security engagements it includes uh, like blockchain protocol audits smart contract audits penetration testing and bug bounties and for four years we've done more than 500 different projects and like it, including all of all the mentioned services, um, the definitely the customer customer base is quite huge and with like big names and we've cooperated with more than fifty different crypto exchanges, quite a few blockchain protocols and hundreds of DeFi projects. And um, when it comes to, I mean, I happen to collaborate with a couple DeFi projects and just on writing or have collaborated in, in the past. And I, I always say like, people don't realize how much work goes into, into auditing, right? And into testing. It does seem like a, such a minor thing, but once you it's see, <laughs> no, it's really not. And, and once you see a hack occurring, like the ones that we've seen well, recently with Cream, do you, yeah, you get a feeling that every small vulnerability can be exploited in some way, shape, or form, right? So, would you like to detail the process? Yeah, for, for those that would like to learn more and are not too familiar with how it how it looks like internally. Yeah, definitely. Like for traditional businesses, security is already like top three business risk, and security is something that you should. Uh, uh, start thinking before something happened, not after you was hacked and you need to recover it somehow and do something good. But in fact, a lot of companies just go this way after the incident. And crypto, it's uh, getting more and more like popular to have security because uh, owners really see the business risk and they try to minimize that. And it, it's really good because when we started back in 2017, it was like, I know, like really few companies who cared about security. And now it's like mandatory, like for crypto exchanges from different VCs, from launch pads, and like from a lot of different kind of um, aggregators. So it's kind of regulation now to have at least security audit. And it's pretty cool because in this way, industry is pushing they're conscious of this, like um, projects, to start thinking about security prior to incidents, and that's pretty good. So, if we're speaking about smart contract audits, it's definitely like a good exercise for everyone because uh, it's not only about like looking for like technical vulnerabilities; it's about looking to business logic and finding the like vulnerabilities in the like architecture of these smart contracts and the idea behind it. It's the most valuable part here, I would say. So how that usually works, 
uh, that uh, during audits, auditors check source code, documentation, like functional requirements, white papers, and tests. How how like how good um, code is covered with tests. And as for white paper, uh, what we see there are a lot of cases when uh, projects um, say that in white paper they have one functionality, one amount of tokens or whatever. But in fact, in contracts we see something else, and it's not really good. <laughs> That's what we also check. Uh, how, how that works in terms of audits uh, once we receive the full information from the customer. And here, here's a trick that there are like so many projects that just don't have documentation at all. And mm -hmm. how, how that was developed, no one knows. What was the requirements and what was the intention behind the project, you never know. Because how that works that there is like a founder who has some idea and they some developers somewhere else, and uh, sometimes it's it's not the same the founder like created, it's not realized properly on the code. So every time it's communication and different levels, and it's really good when projects are ready for the audit, they have proper documentation, proper understanding what they do, and based on this you can go with the audit and like check the technical part, like business logic and a lot of other stuff in the contract. Because- Are there, if, I, yep, I mean, sure. sorry to stop you there. Uh, are there any red flags where, when you see a project come by and you see, ooh, this is one is gonna be tough? Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't work with everyone. We have like internal process of filtering the projects we would work with. Mm. Uh, so we don't work with anonymous teams, for example. We don't work with some industries, like some specific projects. So we have filter because every time it's about reputation because auditors are perceived like the someone who say you either invest or no. But in fact, it's it's not true because auditors check the security part of the project and every investor should check the project itself because it's about like market feed, product, team, and a lot of other things. And security is just a part of it, but it's not like a recommendation to invest. But a lot of users just uh, just uh, invest if they see security audit. Unfortunately, that's kind of the situation now in the market, but we're trying to, to move it some better understanding of what's going on. And I, I cut you in the middle of a, of a sentence there. So is there anything you'd like to finish in there? Yeah, so the, the audits, uh, during the audits, uh, our like, engineers team are looking uh, deep into the code and documentation, communicating with the uh, technical team on the customer side, and as a result, they provide the report of their review of the contract and vulnerabilities they found, and uh, like recommendations what to do with them. After the they, like, developer team on the customer side receive that, they fix the vulnerabilities, we recheck that, and only after that we provide them with a final report, which could be like published in the communities, which could be integrated to CoinGecko and CoinMarketCap. Uh, it could be like uploaded to our website and other like activities, uh, you know, to prove that the audit was done. Hmm. And you're very much right. I love this point that people tend to see an auditing like a recommendation investment, uh, like an investment recommendation. And if you go to a, if you're looking at, let's say, a DeFi project, uh, because those are the ones that tend to get hacked the most, right? Basically, because they are the ones holding more money in the contracts. Um, and you you go to their website and you see the auditing firm often in like, like bottom <laughs> left or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't invest. And then you click it and then you see they have audited other big firms. Then it's like, okay, <laughs> here, here comes my money. Let's get that 1000% APY. You know, you know what? We also spoke to some uh, venture funds and what they say, uh, because we also ask, uh, we work with a lot of venture funds to be a part of their due diligence in terms of security. And some like smaller venture funds, so when uh, you ask them about uh, due diligence, they say, uh, oh, we rely on our like uh, um, partners, like huger uh, venture funds, and they just don't do due diligence themselves. They just rely on someone who already invested in this project and done the due diligence. Yeah. Well I mean, I can speak about due diligence because we're basically a due diligence firm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're very much right. Like, that's what's ideal for 
for venture capital to feed to find someone else that does their their due diligence because i mean especially nowadays these are firms that used to be well, it used to be used to to doing due diligence on for-profit businesses, and they haven't really figured out blockchain in general. Uh, and the industry is a bit complex, and some of them are taking advantage, and I would say getting very, very rich by accessing deals that might not seem like good deals, such as like investing in DAOs, just like a, a whole conversation. But I was really interested in the filtering process because you mentioned that you don't work with anonymous teams and I can, I can obviously see why, like you, they can change a founder from one day to the other and you would never know. It's still going to be duck for 26, nine, whatever. But uh, what do you think we'll ever get to the point? Well, I personally think we'll get to the point where most teams are going to be anonymous. So do you think uh, not anonymous teams are going to have an advantage over anonymous teams or the other way around? Mm -hmm. What I see and hear on the market that a lot of uh, like VCs, for example, they don't work with anonymous teams mm. or at least they do some KYC process and understand who is behind. And definitely you are right that one day they can just, you know, um, like change a founder or whatever, but at least you have something like some connection to some real person, to some real identity that you can uh, work in the legal entity in case, like in legal field, in case something happened. So okay. at least better than nothing. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's like, you know, this process is still pre pretty unmatured, I would say. And definitely I feel that crypto is make, like is going to the maturity phase. And uh, in future, there would be, I guess, more preference over like public teams, honestly. Yeah, I, I can see why. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we, we all work with people and we rely on the like team expertise, team background and a lot of the things. I don't know. How I was going to ask you. I, I feel like, yeah, it's impossible not to cut, cut over people on, on Zoom or on these platforms. But we, what else is in the, in the screening process? What else are you looking at when you're, when you're screening who, who do you work with? So we check it uh, over like some uh, set of databases. It's done via QSC providers. And we also have some like red flags in terms of the project sense, I would say project idea behind and mm -hmm. from the first point you can see it's, it's not really a legit project i would say because we what, what are those red flags yeah because it, it was like some adult projects i would say something uh with uh, like uh, gambling and uh, all this all this related stuff well yeah interesting interesting and i i i Again, I, I can see why there is um there is a surge, I would say, in gambling projects nowadays, isn't it? And I'm starting to see more and more of those. Are there any particular kind that you're that you're constantly re rejecting? I I won't say so. Uh, honestly, I don't know how this project process works, like exactly right now in details. Uh -huh. But our team uh, team is filtering that. All right, cool. Um, and definitely, definitely stuff like you do is really important to the industry because what we see this kind of due diligence, pre-verification, pre-validation is really important for a lot of uh, companies. And there is like so few people in this that uh, this reports. It's something that everyone, every venture, every launchpad are like looking for. And it's really important. I do think so. And especially when you have a, um, let's say a number, a final number. I often tell people not to judge a project based on, the, on their final rating or on one of our you reports. You mean like some kind of score? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's always a final score and there's a score per category. So you can see that a project maybe does very well on product market fit and on team, but on their 
jurisdiction and their legal compliance, tokenomics, whatever, they're not doing too well. And of course, there are things that can be fixed easier than others, right? Just like we were saying, some things you might just pass on based on the fact that they're not ideal for your profile. Like in your case, your company doesn't want to work with certain type of clients. And I would say the same goes for investor. I, for example, do not feel comfortable working with, I mean, investing in just about any project that seems like I might make a a profit based on just an ideological level. Like I wouldn't put money on centralized projects, meme coins, just because I think those are bad, bad practices. But anyways, I digress. I was really interested in asking you about what you think about third-party development. Because I, I feel like ideally every team should develop their own projects and <laughs> write their white papers. That, that's a bit of a dig at, at some people that have messaged me lately. But, <laughs> but yeah, what's your take on that? Oh yeah, that's a huge problem in the industry as well, developers. And uh, there is so many ideas and so few good developers. Um, good developers that you can hire in-house and good dev companies and the availability of these good companies. So every time it's a huge challenge for a founder to find proper development. And definitely uh, at the beginning, a lot of projects just go with like third-party development in terms of different dev agencies. And uh, I, I've seen really few companies which do, you know, proper select, you know, these dev companies. because. Mostly it's about price and uh, it's not about quality. And when we see this this development, when they come to us for audit, so it was uh, cheaper for the customer to invest in good developers rather than do like six audits because they are developers not really good at all. And their code quality is really poor and you need basically to like rewrite all the contracts because it's not it's not going to work in terms of security at all. And yeah, we had quite a few such cases and it was really pain for the customers. And, uh, but it's a reality. There is, uh, so, um, so we work with a lot of dev agencies, especially in Ukraine, we have pretty cool blockchain ecosystem with a lot of specialists mm-hmm. and all of them like are booked for a long time and they do a couple of projects simultaneously. And um, it's not it's not what's going like to the direction of good quality development. But you know, more major projects uh, they hire uh, developers in house and they pay them a lot. And another problem that we recently discussed in Lisbon with uh, some some like engineers that in uh, blockchain and crypto sphere it's very difficult to find um, like good engineer. Uh, and is with relevant knowledge. And the problem is that the prices on this market is like insane. You can pay like 10x for crypto just because they know like crypto for half a year. You can pay 10x for the developer. But in fact, it's not worth it because if you hire a good engineer from like another sphere, it would um, take it takes them not, not that much time to understand what's going on on this my contract because it's not rocket science, honestly, for good engineers. And they are not so, you know, they don't know what is crypto and what this crypto <laughs> like prices because yeah, like really, if you have just one month of experience in crypto, you can just multiply your salary, I don't know, like so much. That's a problem for us as well because we are hiring now actively and we speak to a lot of candidates. And that's that's a market where you need to educate people a lot if you want quality quality engineers. And crypto is also one of these areas that you don't know how much you don't know after you're like several years in. <laughs> so I, I have this friend of mine. He quit his job to work in crypto. He's probably he's probably listening to this right now. He quit his job to work in crypto, but he didn't know much about crypto before. And nowadays, this is a developer, right? And one month in, this guy starts talking about 
why this project sucks, why this project sucks, why this project sucks. And I'm like, dude, you're one month in. You, you don't even know what you do not know. And I see a lot of people like that. And before that, that used to be people investing in Dogecoin, but now that's people developing contracts. You know, oh, yeah, that's another problem. I have so many to say on that because it's like really my hot, hot topic that uh, I am working on now. Um, this is your place guess, to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, from one one hand, it's really good that it's kind of mass adoption, like new people are coming. They're trying to understand what's going on in crypto. Uh, recently, when I was flying from, uh, from Lisbon, from Solana events, uh, the taxi driver was checking the uh, rates on uh, Binance every uh, like every two minutes. Uh, like, come on, what's going on? And he just saw that he, he's like some some part of his salary he invests in uh, in crypto, in meme coins as well as for Dodge. He asked me a lot what what the like what the predictions on that should I invest there more and all this stuff. So we see that more and more that a lot of people invest in crypto and trying to understand what's going on there. Uh, but definitely there should be, you know, some quality, quality assurance of the knowledge while you're like hiring people and uh, how they would work. Because developers, that's, that's a huge problem, as well as auditors. And I mean, yeah, going a bit back to third party developed projects, I do feel like People tend to do that, right? They hire cheap development teams and then they rely on the auditor to fix everything. And then there are things that need to be re redeveloped, man. It's just a waste of money. And that's in the case, that's in the better case that eventually you figure out everything you did sucks. Because if you don't, then people lose millions of dollars. Yeah, that's true. We have so many such cases with these new projects and this poor development when it's cheaper and faster to like start from 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 the scratch, not just trying to fix this code because it's so bad. You know, it works, but it it's not something that you would scale and grow. The <laughs> I mean, yeah, you said this is your, your hot topic at the moment. So is there anything you'd like to add in that regard? I know there is. No, I mean that we are actively hiring. So I'm speaking to a lot of people and trying to find different sources where how it could be done in the quality manner. Right. Um, and I, I'm wondering if there are many important differences that the person that's not too technical, such as myself, like wouldn't um, wouldn't know about the difference between auditing contracts in one blockchain or the other. Let's say, is it very different if you're auditing contracts on Tron rather than Ethereum or EOS, etc.? Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, uh, like in most uh, like even compatible uh, chains, it's it's okay. So it's still solidity and not no. a lot of architecture difference. But when we are talking about Rust-based blockchains like Solana, Nier, Polkadot, like Casper and a lot of others and like Terra, uh, it's, it's different. And you should go deep into the like how it's built, the framework, the architecture. So it's different skill set and like different skill set and different knowledge and different auditors. Mostly now in the market, it's uh, solidity, solidity, solidity auditors, and Rust is something that just started recently and it's growing. I I would like to hear your opinion, uh, since you're actually looking at the at the nuts and bolts here. What's your take on chains like Solana that seem a bit centralized every now and then? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, let's see how it goes in the future. Uh, there is like they are developing quite fast and developing the ecosystem. Uh, their plans are really ambitious. Let's see what's going to be next with them. Yeah, because the the rate of growth that they have it, it is impressive, but then they have to put the chain to a full stop, and you don't know if this is a bug of 
it being very early or whether this is going to be like this forever, right? Let's see. But you know, the, there's so many demands on the Solana Breakpoint event in Lisbon. Uh, in When was it? Yeah, in November. That was craziness. The amount of people that were looking for tickets to Solana uh, was insane. And uh, there were like people who were like reselling these tickets 20x because they were like... Ah, really? Yes. <laughs> and that was really funny. And like, anyway, uh, there was more people uh, rather than places in the conference. That, that That's where you need NFT tickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they, they could have been making a buck from every resale. Anyway, anyway, uh, you have uh, paper badges <laughs> and uh, it doesn't matter how you transfer it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Then you have to pay the, the the transfer fees, and they they turn out more yeah. expensive than the than the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's actually a good question. When you're auditing contracts, are you just having to be paying a shit ton of Ethereum fees just because you're running the contract over and over again, or is there a or, or are there tricks to avoid that? So uh, it depends on uh, like case by case, and it's also mostly tested on test nets. On, on local nets. Right, right, right. It's a... Yeah, because now fees are, are quite quite big. Yeah, and, and you don't see that many projects moving out of Ethereum, right? Which is like, this is what every fanboy of other chains, like call them Tesos or whatever, uh, they were expecting to see, right? Ethereum fees going through the roof and then projects starting moving chains. But um, everyone seems to be confident that Ethereum will eventually be accessible again and that that will happen sooner rather than later. Um, what's your take on all, that, on all that? So what we see from our customers and their development that they are like experimenting as well and trying to find, you know, that they are building some modules for like for Solana, for like Terra or for something else, trying to, to see what's what's better and uh, hope it, it would work. But we see that this like new blockchains, uh, they have possibility to, you know, to be competitive with Ethereum as well. But there is quite a few chains that were like booming like during mm. the last years, but now where them, we don't know and what's going on there as well. I know, do you know what's going on on EOS, for example? Um, I thought EOS, yeah, I thought EOS was dead and I hadn't thought about EOS until I saw it on your website, if I'm honest. Yeah, so you never know what's going to be in crypto next because everything's so changing so rapidly and uh, projects are opening and closing. Let's see what the are, are people, after winter. Are people using EOS? I we haven't received a request from it for use for quite a long time, I, I guess. Because I I feel like if I had to point to one project that's like the biggest disappointment of the history of crypto, that that would be EOS, right? Oh yeah, but it was really really cool start. Especially yeah, no, in terms was... of security. For us, it was really interesting. I don't know if you're like follow this story of the security programs, but uh, yeah. Tell me more about this. So as we operate actually on bug bounty side, uh, mm -hmm. that means about like uh, leveraging bugs from external researchers, hackers, and uh, they paid quite a lot of money for simple vulnerabilities just because they haven't properly managed the program and set it up firstly, like properly. That's why they paid a lot of money for really not good vulnerabilities. But yeah, it was it was interesting and it was good for hackers because they did these vulnerabilities. But then they just uh, fixed it and it was just regular process. But I don't know if, if they're still active on like bug bounty and at all. Speaking about hackers, I'm, I'm very interested by seeing that we're getting our first hacker celebrities these days. Um, I see this guy, what's his name, Samson? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he, he just became a bit of a celebrity because of the very good work that he's been doing. Um, I, I don't know if this is like 
I, I know he's been featured in podcasts. I've never listened to it. So it, it could be a woman. Is it a guy? Uh, I think he is a guy. Yeah, I, I think so as well. <laughs> and by probability, we might be right, right? <laughs> by statistics. Um, but yeah, you see it, him becoming a, a bit of a celebrity. And... And it's funny. Then you have other hackers, hackers, like the one who, which plus, which platform was this on? I'm blanking on it. The guy who, who seems like he got scared and he returned all the money. Oh, I don't remember. I understand what you're talking about, but I don't remember. Actually, this guy from EOS, when he's up in his oldest vulnerabilities at this time, at that time, uh, he was like kind of celebrity as well because everyone wanted to take interview from him because it's like quite huge vulnerabilities on EOS and like everyone, oh, come on, who is it? Uh, yeah, th th this one, I mean, none of us remembers which project was it on. I was in Poly... Polylastic. Yeah, yeah he, he was in Polylastic. And, and then he got called a feed and yeah, acted like he was doing it on good intentions the whole time and returned the money and all this. But... Uh, it does put some pressure on the project, on the firm that originally audited this project, because if some random from the internet can figure out the exploits, then you your firm doesn't look very good. Do you... Are, are there any things that you check on for in contracts or in projects in general to that are where you know projects are more likely to to be attacked or where people are more likely to make mistakes coding? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because the common uh, misconce like misconception yeah, is that if you audited the contract, it's like 100% secure. Of course, everyone is trying for that, but in fact, mm -hmm. we're all human and the project owners should do everything to minimize risks by themselves. What that means? It means like uh, building security mindset inside, building security into your development life cycle and architecture part, firstly, mm -hmm. then doing like internal audits, couple of external audits, then launching a bug bounty, and then doing like insurance. That's all activities to minimize the security risk. So you can't rely just on the one single audit because it's like a complex of methods that help you to do that. And of course, um, when you do audits, uh, you can like miss them back. It's like it's it's normal process. You can't find everything. Um, you know, for, for security and for bug hunters, especially every time they're looking for vulnerabilities and can't find them anything, it could be uh, by two like by by two reasons. First one is like one hundred percent secure, which you never know if it is. Or you just not have not don't have enough skills, and that's also a question. So there is no such thing as like one hundred percent security. One hundred percent security is when your laptop is like without connection to internet somewhere in in the safe. So right. <laughs> um, so that, that's the... that's the common problem, and like an understanding of what is security and what the audit. There is a. I mean, in my in my mind, in my mind, the way I learned about smart contracts, it was with an and this was in like years ago. the The first example that I ever heard it was like um, a soda machine. So the, the contract is put coin, <laughs> exit, <laughs> exit uh, soda, get change if necessary, and that's like the simplest kind of contract. So you don't think that contract can have a lot of ways to be exploited? things the, the contracts that would get exploited are more complex right yes. so what kind of contract is more likely to be exploited um i would say there is um it's not about the, uh, of course it, uh, sometimes it's about the size of code the lack of documentation the lack of understanding what's going on also about um, the quality of code and uh, about like some custom stuff which a lot of projects somehow built so they don't use like open zeppelin uh, like libraries for example or some something else which is tested a lot of times uh they trying to do something from scratch 
and here also about like lack of security in this SDLC, like security uh, software development lifecycle, lack of understanding what they are doing, like poor quality of like developer work, and a lot of factors. So you know you can even do a lot of mistakes in 300 lines of code. That's easy as well. It's about the like you know developers, right. like mindset, processes, and a lot of stuff. I think it was very interesting that you mentioned insurance a bit back because I I have a personal preference for insurance insurance projects. I think that's the future of of DeFi really because that's the, the the one thing from the traditional world that you don't see being executed in crypto that much. And well, shout out to my friend Michael Beck, the, who's running the Union Finance Project. Um, they're doing a great job in trying to put as much of this into into the blockchain world how do you yeah well, what's your general perspective on on crypto insurance yes definitely if we are comparing to traditional markets uh, all this cyber security risk insurance is something really important because like every time as i mentioned you're trying to minimize the risk but still it exists mm -hmm. and you should should be like should have plan b in case of something happened. And uh, that's what started like uh, centralized exchanges. They have this like funds in case, like in case of hack, like, uh, like in Binance. And definitely it's not that f uh, like much of them, I guess up to 10 has this fund, honestly. So um, before investing and depositing money to some exchange, you should, you should think twice about their security and if something happened, would they like return this money? But yeah, I see, I see that's like uh, something that industry needs to, to minimize different risks. And there are kinds of insurance, right? Like not all crypto insurance projects are, are built the same way. Like, like you said, some are basically just projects setting aside some funds to, to pay back for things should, should they go wrong? Yeah. So um, one of our projects, so like sub projects, uh, is called CR. It's like mm -hmm. rating of crypto exchanges, um, and uh, their team uh, like uh, researched a lot about this insurance uh, at centralized exchanges. And as I mentioned, there's like really few of them who has that. So it's better to check before uh, before depositing money there. What about decentralized insurance? Uh, you mean when it's like provider that's the that? Yeah, so because I reckon sex is sexy. It's always weird to say sex. Um, the centralized exchanges. <laughs> we haven't figured that out in this community. Uh, centralized exchanges tend to tend to be better at or tend to have an easier time finding insurance because they they can go through like traditional routes, right? Whether if you're like a Uniswap or a decentralized exchange or whatever, you need to think of different ways. So there are decentralized insurance providers like yeah, yeah. like I say Union Armor. Nexus I think is the is the biggest one right now. And like insurance as well and a lot of others. Would you rather, would you think one is more secure than the other? Or is it just, just like different, different docs altogether? I guess they are different. This traditional insurance and crypto, crypto insurance. And uh, yeah, totally different, especially for DeFi. Probably for traditional, and you know, because now exchanges is like financial, legal financial entities. In that mm -hmm. case, traditional insurance might work. But for all DeFi markets, not sure. Probably decentralized insurance is something that better. And yeah, speaking about DeFi, I, I saw that you guys recently signed a partnership with Avatar for for the for DeFi in general. I mean, the news is literally Hacken is partnering with Avatar to increase users of trust in DeFi projects. So is. Um, <laughs> 
before we were talking about how users users tend to trust DeFi projects just because they were audited. So, what is your ideal case here? How can you trust? Uh, how can you make users trust DeFi projects while still like things being safe and sound? I didn't get what you mean because editors they are like legal legal consultancy. Mm -hmm. And they do all this traditional stuff like with uh, policies and something for more major companies uh, that's like officially registered, public, doing legal business. And there is quite a few of them actually in DeFi as well. But for like anonymous teams and uh, some strange projects, it's not the case. But it's not about trust for this project, I guess. So, so do you think having people trust DeFi more is a matter of bridging as much as possible from the decentralized world into the traditional world? Good question. In fact, it's not about crypto, yeah, you know, about all the centralized solutions, but mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of different levels of perception of crypto. And for newcomers, the centralized solution is something more reliable uh, that they can start with. And for, you know, true crypto people, they use uh, like DeFi indexes and other stuff. And yeah, that, that that's, a, that's a good point that, because that's the entry point. Like you say, the, you, you very, like you say, the, your taxi driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's not really using yield farming, right? He's checking his balance on on Binance yes. to see if he yes. has gone up. Where the where would you say the entry point for DeFi is, or for true crypto, for more decentralized solutions? Probably yeah, Uniswap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like Uniswap, Pancake, and other solutions. That's you know the way you need to install MetaMask and use <laughs> use it with MetaMask. It's more difficult level. Oh, because the taxi driver also told me that like MetaMask is really difficult to use, and uh, it's like I won't go with that. I need I need just Binance, like Coinbase, and all all this. Actually, actually, that's not the first person that I hear say that. I've heard that quite a lot recently, because you know this. You probably have this happen to you all the time. Like every time people hear that you're working in crypto they want to they want you to teach them how to get rich in 10 minutes or of less of course so. everyone wants that like where to invest how to multiply their money that's obvious everyone here this that, this like uh excess that you can get, get in crypto but they don't want to invest their time to understand what's going on there exactly and, and this is why i tell people like I give them like the shortest answer that I can do is like buy set aside a bit of money that you can every month and buy a bit of crypto of Ethereum or Bitcoin and don't move from that because you're not gonna understand more about this to be to get into something more complex in like years. So stay with the basics. And I think yeah. two people have taken me up on that so far. Because yeah, yeah, actually, that's a good good advice. That also what I hear from others: just do something stable but regularly, and for sure you would be in a in a profit. And you're gonna and you're gonna get more interested, and that's the part people people don't get. Like you're not gonna sit down and learn everything. Although we have a guide, a fifty page guide, in case you want to sit down and learn a bit of everything. But most people don't do that. Um, most people just. Uh, if they start putting a bit of money in Ethereum or on Bitcoin, hopefully they will start getting curious and they will start reading news and they will start getting a, a bit more savvy. But it, it does take time. And yeah, going back to user experiences, there are, MetaMask is fairly simple for us that haven't been here for, for long. For some people, it's still a bit daunting. Like there are like, random numbers from contracts and the transactions part of it i don't think it looks too friendly it's yeah uh, it's a bit weird to press the button that says approve and then send the transaction yeah it, it, it there's a challenge there but um monica singer from consensus she was telling me that 
I need to invite Monica back again. Um, she was saying that MetaMask actually, the beauty of it was that it opened the world of crypto for most developers that were just basically like web 2.0 developers. And uh, I think you would agree that there is more of that kind of people coming into crypto these days, right? Yeah, but uh, you know, for um, for like non-tech savvy people, MetaMask mm -hmm. is still not that friendly, I would say. For developers, yeah, that's that's pretty fine. You know, that, definitely there's not nothing pretty difficult there, but it's it's easier to open Binance, a special light version on mobile phone, and just really simple steps. And uh, yeah, and also what what I hear about user experience because uh, yeah, for 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 last last couple of months, a lot of my non crypto friends try mm -hmm. to to buy to trade and all this stuff and like all these KYC processes for some exchanges that's very difficult. I know so many photos, so many different like references and so many stuff you should provide, and especially <laughs> with Asian Asian crypto exchanges. Uh, not all time it works perfectly. You probably also had people like, I just remember, you probably also had people come to you saying that they want to become traders, right? Like people that have done things, have never done anything even related to that. Yeah. And uh, I honestly did this mistake by myself as well. Uh, when you don't understand what's going on there in terms of trading, and just trying to go for futures and every time it's a bad idea <laughs> and this is advice for everyone listening stay away from leverage you don't yeah. borrow money to gamble like that that's a bad idea always yeah yeah for sure uh, actually exchanges are a great topic because you guys have done security work in exchanges audits on exchanges um Yeah, I, I would just like to give you an open floor to talk about that because I reckon that what you can say is more interesting than anything I can ask you. Okay, so, so you want something to know about something about security of crypto exchanges? Yeah. If That's a good topic. <laughs> That's a good topic without names, of course, but... Uh, the, uh, if you want like, with names, I'm always leaving that option open. <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> so... Okay. There is so few exchanges which have like uh, have different like definitely good team, good tech team mm -hmm. and understanding. It's kind of scary when you find like 50, 60 and more security vulnerabilities on the exchange, which operates with like a lot of money. And uh, like, yeah, every time it's a pain to point out to all this stuff and understand that Like hackers just can like withdraw like infinite amount of money because of just technical mistake. But it's it's good when like um, exchanges uh, like do internal and external audits and do bug bounties. There are quite mm -hmm. a few exchanges that um, have bug bounties because in this way they're saying that like we are transparent and we are open to receive security feedback from external like world from like researchers, users, and they definitely pay attention to that. Um, for So we operate bug bounty for quite a, like a lot of crypto exchanges, like for FTX, for example, for Huobi, like, uh, Gate.io, and a lot of others. And uh, that's pretty good mindset and attitude to security when you like receive the security feedback, fix vulnerabilities, say things to hackers, because in the end of the day, it's increased your security. And what, what, for example, like common mistakes that we see on crypto exchanges, it's uh, more about like uh, transactions and trading when there is no enough fil filtration on the fields, for example, and you can generate like infinite amount of money through your account. There were like some cases where we were able to ju just generate for like from uh, $100 couple of million dollars and withdraw it and it was the customer was pretty happy that we found that not some, someone like bet so right. also what the pro, like a typical problem with exchanges that they store 
um, like a lot of personal information in many cases. Of course, uh, they try to outsource this to like KYC providers. But uh, back in 2017, 18, we found a lot of just IDs open and it was a huge problem. You can just, you know, everyone can access the ID of user that submitted this QIC. Luckily, now it's better. And uh, yeah, and also what, what what's good that exchanges itself, they're interested in security of users because every, every time it's uh, both the responsibility of user and exchange. Uh, in most cases, the attacks happens on the user side because they are like they've been phished or they like uh, done something wrong, and um, uh, exchanges try to educate these users. They force them to set uh, good passwords, anti-phishing codes to a face, like some phishing like phishing protection, and it's pretty good because at least they are trying to educate users in terms of security and minimize the negative feedback on for, for themselves. I, uh, yeah, you said 50, 60 vulnerabilities. And yes. that, that, that was interesting because how much would you say is, is a good number of vulnerabilities? Uh, I guess. What, what do you mean good number? Yeah, like you said, okay, because you say that clearly 50, 60 was too many. So how uh, many is yeah. a, a decent number? Yeah, good number is uh, zero, of course. Uh, the, like the acceptable, the acceptable number, like around 10 from which like just, you know, no criticals, for example, just uh -huh. some like minor, like medium vulnerabilities. That's not that dangerous for like for user and exchange itself but some recommendations how to improve it. And the bad situation when you have a lot of vulnerabilities and then you understand while you do this penetration test, you understand that what's going on on the development side, the architecture parts, you never know because it's like, it's too much. It's like no security, no understanding of technology at all. I would, uh, yeah. does it get suspicious if it's zero? That's that's a good question. As I mentioned before, there is such cases when you you've done everything, you've checked everything. So we have like internal methodologies we use uh, for exchanges, and when it's good, it's good. And you you can just you know launch a bug bounty, ask for external feedback, like another audit to check. But um, in like in web and mobile sphere, there's a way more specialist and the um, deep of this knowledge so it's it's not that huge issue but more issues on smart contract side and well Eugenia I, I know you're a busy woman and I really appreciate you taking the time to to have this conversation it's been a lot of fun is there anything as we start closing that um, that you would like to talk about or that you think we didn't go into um, usually what's interesting to users probably to think like some tips how to protect themselves. Oh, yeah. What they, yeah, what they can do for the project and for, for themselves like personally. Yeah, please give me your best. So there is no rocket science at all in this. Uh, strong password, password managers to a face, no SMS and uh, like be really attentive in terms of phishing. Because uh, that's where a lot of attacks. We investigated a lot of cases where it was just like, you know, spare phishing and was just like link for the employee. It's opened and uh, some troubles happened, I would say. So actually, here, here's a here's a question that has been in my mind forever. Now I found the perfect person to talk to. It's like I'm asking Michael Jordan about basketball. I've heard people having problems with fake tokens sent to their wallets that when they click on them they do something or, or something like that and it basically drains their wallets like they get airdropped some suspicious suspicious tokens and next thing they know they don't have anything how does that work i haven't heard such cases if you have some more details i can look at it more but so when you have the wallet and some tokens so these tokens can't execute something. Um, I can't comment on that because it's weird to see. 
if you have such uh, such information can you share I, I'm going to, if you want to keep on giving our listeners some recommendations, I'm going to see if I can find something about this. Yeah, and uh, the yeah, can I continue while you're please. looking for? Yeah, yeah yes, please, and please do. For, for projects, as I mentioned, it's better to have like security mindset, uh, like security first mindset when you start implement security at the first stage when you make architecture secure by design and not uh, do like just audits in the end and that's all. So security architect secure architecture, internal audits, internal code reviews, external code reviews, like external smart contract audits, better to have multiple companies doing that, uh, launching bug bounties to attract more researchers, more hackers to look for vulnerabilities. And then uh, like doing insurance to minimize the risk of being hacked and proper communication in case of something happens. That's well, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like uh, if, uh, if there is like a hack, you should proper, properly communicate that to the community, to investors, to partners, to clients. Okay, I, I got you. And yeah, I could I couldn't find anything about this airdrop problem. I also reckon it's not a it, it must must not be a common one because, like you said, like a token cannot do anything on your wallet. It has to be something else. But yeah, I got no clue how this might work. So I'll <laughs> I'll probably, if I find it, I'll email you and I'll include a little okay. clip in, in here of me <laughs> reading out your answer. But but I don't think that okay. will happen. Okay. And for people for people looking into wallets themselves, like there are of course the ideal is to use a non-custodial wallet. If you're gonna use any wallet that is not hardware, uh, hardware is of course safer. But if you use a wallet, try for it to at least be non-custodial, so no one is in possession of your coins. You're gonna have to pay fees most likely to move your coins out of centralized exchanges into into non-custodial wallets, but I would say that's something that's worthwhile. Also, you have to make sure that you that you take care of your of your seed phrases and always make sure that there's not one single point of failure for your seed phrases because if you email them to someone and and someone can and you're in some risk of someone hacking into your email, then you're at risk. Same of you losing a paper. Th yeah. There are and countless it's stories. It's a, it's a bad idea. Just use password managers. It's easy. The, don't and... password manage. Aren't password managers more dangerous because if you lose, Why? I mean, if something happens to your password manager, something happens to you in general to all your accounts. Uh, but yeah, you still need to just remember one password, and you can recover it. And uh, it's better to know about one password. But definitely it's about, uh, as you mentioned, about single point of failure. And every time you should diversify. That's like with audits and with bug bounties and all this stuff. You should diversify risks. It's about security. But, but I'm really curious here because I always understood that you shouldn't use password managers because that's, like we said, one point of failure. But yes, you you can have like backups, have different managers, but uh, it's better to use password managers rather than use the same password everywhere and, oh, okay, uh, yeah. and be exploited. Because like hackers use this stolen databases, hack databases, and you can, right. you can uh, be a victim of that. It's really scary when you get one of those Google emails saying that <laughs> your passwords have been compromised or something like that. Like that's like. Have you? Because... Uh, yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, like usually you receive these emails only if you are like subscribed to such service, or it mm -hmm. could be a phishing that uh, like th uh, tries you to go somewhere to change your password. But in fact, it's like a phishing, uh, phishing resource, which just just trying to get this password from you. Yeah, and it, it never ends. But most attacks, I would say, are designed to catch 
the 99% more ignorant people, right? Like, attacks are often not very sophisticated. They most likely look like an email from Facebook or from your bank or something like that. Yes, there is different types of phishing, and one of the types, uh, like, so it's when it's like spare phishing for exact person, we, we are like within exact company, when it's everything is prepared to be for you. And other type when it's just like, you know, spam, like mass, mass emailing, uh, when it's like for everyone and there is like percent of people which click and enter the password. So it depends. Right. And for, for our crypto users, anything else that you can tell them in regards of security? Do your own research and be really attentive on what you're doing and don't rely only on security audits. Don't rely only on security audits. Read the course reports <laughs> if you want if yes, you want a bit of due diligence sure. done for you. <laughs> and, yeah, do your own uh, due diligence. Always do your own due diligence, guys. Take uh, take things take things like articles, videos, our reports, whatever, as starting points to understand more and to and to learn more. But of course, always it's better if people do their own diligence. And well, th thank you very much for taking the time, Eugenia. Thank you. Thank you for inviting. I hope it was useful for you and the listeners. I, it was very useful. I, I'm hoping that my questions weren't too bad. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting, actually, you know, to, to hear some questions from non-security people and try to explain in the simple manner. Okay. I, I used to be a marketing manager for a for a cybersecurity firm. Uh, oh, really? That, that didn't last for that, that didn't last for too long, but uh, I do think that I did my homework at that time. <laughs> I hope some remains nice. here. But anyways, crypto is very different. Yeah, it is. It's a completely different beast. So well, goodbye everyone, and thank you again. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye.